You're listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry at First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas, 67024. All right, Acts chapter 14, if you've got a Bible, um, which if you don't, there's some around you, grab one and go to Acts chapter 14, because we're going to continue our study through the book of Acts. Uh, last week we saw uh, Paul and his, his group of people, they, they literally get thrown out of town because they're preaching the gospel. The last section of chapter 13, and it says that they were thrown out. What did they do? They shook the dust off of their feet. And, and, a, and a symbol of, listen, you're in God's hands now. You've rejected the gospel. That's on you. That's on you. And they left filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, according to verse 52. And, and so we see that they, they preached the gospel as best as they knew how. They, they did not waver in their commitment to the gospel. And, but he doesn't, look, notice, Paul doesn't beg people to accept the gospel because he knows that salvation is not on him. He can't save anyone. So he's not begging anyone to come to Christ. What he was called to do was just to be faithful, to share the gospel in the places where he was and let God do the saving. So as you remember, they left and after being persecuted, they left. And they, they didn't leave with a feeling of emptiness or failure or sadness. They left with, a, according to the text, they left with joy. They, they left with a feeling of joy. And that joy brought them uh, was brought about because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were actually filled to the, to the overflowing brim with the Holy Spirit. And they understood that God was the one that was moving. God was the one that was redeeming. Because they did have those that were saved. They saw people in this group come to a saving faith. And this is what I, I like when, don't, we'll just do it here. Don't put the weight of someone else's salvation on your shoulders. That is a weight you were never, ever meant to carry. It is Jesus who saves. It's never helpful to anyone when you try to carry the weight of trying to see someone else saved. It, it can be soul crushing to you and the one who longs, like, listen, I understand longing to see someone saved. Anybody in the room long to see somebody saved and follow, come to know Christ? Yeah, absolutely. But you can put a weight on yourself sometimes that can be just soul crushing. When I was a younger evangelist, when I traveled and preached, um, I, I would do events and I would have altar calls. And um, actually, you know why we don't do altar calls here a lot? Because they're not in the Bible. Scripture never... This, the altar call thing is only within the last hundred years. That's a new thing. And so the Bible doesn't, because it's, it's a, an emotional manipulation where we try to pull people in and, and you know, let the band play one more, one more, one more chord, one more strong. Let's come on, keep them coming, keep them coming. And it's a, an, an emotional manipulation to try to get people down to the front so they make a decision. That's not ever taught in the Bible. Because God's the one, all God says is, you preach the gospel and I'll bring them to save. I'll, I'll save those that need to be saved. 
So don't put this on, on you. And so as a younger as a younger preacher, I would have these altar calls and I like I would feel like I hadn't done a good job if people didn't come forward. And I just there was a weight on me that just was heavy because I wanted to see people saved, but man, I was I was not doing it in a proper fashion. I was I was trying to emotionally manipulate and try to pull people in and it just it didn't work. And and so um this verse really changed everything for me. It's First Corinthians chapter three, verse six through eight, says this is Paul speaking again. I planted, Apollo watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. He who plants and he who waters is one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So listen, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter. Like yesterday, I got the word that three people got saved. It wasn't Caleb Gordon that got him saved. Some plant, some water. So I, I didn't get to actually pray with anybody. And listen, it's not my it's not my job to bring anyone to. Say, I, I can't save you. It's not my job. It's Christ that brings you to salvation. It's Christ who awakens you. It's Christ who brings the growth. So good on Joshua yesterday. He got to be a part of that. Some plant, I got to plant a seed in the morning. Well, and in the evening, Joshua watered. And guess what? God brought the growth. Come on. So we need to see this is not, 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 not that we save, but it's God who does the saving. God's the one who brings the growth, right? And, and what a wonderful thing it is that we, we as planters and waterers, we, get the, we receive our wages according to how... Christ pays it. Like, listen, he's like, you're going to reward you. Don't, don't try to puff yourself up. Because here's the thing. It's God who brings the growth. It's never been about the man. It's never been about the man. It's always about the message. And I think recently about my own father, who for decades and decades and decades faithfully stood behind this sacred desk and preached the gospel faithfully. <clears throat> got to see men and women saved. Got to baptize people. And guess what? He went in the ground, but the message continues. It's never been about the man. Not saying that that, that the, um, doesn't mean there's a vacuum now that he's gone, but trust me, in just a few years, his church that he pastored faithfully for over 30 years, he pastored it for over 30 years, there will be another man in that pulpit soon, and that church will be just as excited because that man's in that pulpit preaching. This church has been here for 140 years. You're, you're excited I'm here now, but when I'm in the ground, in a few years from my death, there's going to be another man who stands in this pulpit as faithfully says, thus saith the Lord. It's never about the man. It's always about the message. Amen? Like that's what it's about. Because it's not about me getting a platform. It's about Christ being exalted above all. That's what it is. Pastors need to never get an inflated ego because it's not, it's not about me. It's all about Christ. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and the spreading of his gospel. All right, so let's get into Acts chapter 14. Now at Iconium, they, in verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles 
and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of grace, of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some sided with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of this and they fled to Lystra and to Derbe, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding countries, or in the, the surrounding country, and they continued to preach the gospel. <clears throat> so, Iconium was a cultural melting pot in verse 1. Jews, Greeks, Romans, there was a whole, it was just a bunch of folks in one big place. Um, you name it, the people group was there. So, it was a great area to preach the gospel because you've got more than just one group of people. You've got all, all di- a diverse group of people to hear the gospel. So Paul and his group go to the synagogue and they, they, they do what they're, they, they've been doing all along. They go to the synagogues and they begin to preach the gospel. And what happens is that we see many believe, Jews and Gentiles. Because remember in verse 13, what? It's not an exclusive message for just the Jews anymore. This is a message for everyone. Doesn't matter your background, your race, your creed. The gospel is for you. The gospel is for you. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is for you. And so we see many begin to be saved. And so you say, oh, Caleb, I noticed through this text and through other texts in Acts how people just, man, they're just coming to faith quickly. They're just, it, just, it doesn't seem to take long they preach them and they're just getting saved why is that Caleb I'm glad you asked Um, the Jews were raised on nothing but the law like that's all they had for decades it was the law 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 they saw the law they read the law when they woke up when they went to bed they got up the law was present constantly and according to Romans chapter 3 verse 20 it is the law that is the bringer of understanding that you are broken and sinful and in need of a savior. So they understood on a epic level that they were a mess. They understood that's the reason so many Jews were trying to, through their works, keep the law because they knew, man, I'm a broken mess, so what do I got to do to make God happy? I'm going to keep the law. And that wasn't working. They'd try, but they'd fail. They try, but they fail. And so they understood that they needed Christ. For decades, the soil of their hearts had been readied by the teaching of the law. And what happens here is when they finally hear the good news that Jesus came to fulfill the law perfectly on our behalf, they're like, oh, really? Whoa, wait, that's good news. I can't fulfill the law, but Christ can? I'm in. Let's go, right? Uh, I think of Matthew chapter 5. It says, Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to, I have not come to abolish, but I have come to fulfill them. So Christ came and he was the perfect law keeper because that is the standard by which God judges. The standard by which God judges is the Ten Commandments. How many of us have lied? How many of us have stolen? How many of us have broken God's law? All of us. So we've all broken God's law. Jesus comes in and keeps it perfectly and then says, I'm going to be the sacrifice that the stand-in 
for them. I'm going to die on the cross for them specifically so that when God sees them, they no longer see them, but they see Jesus in them. So Christ becomes the fulfillment. So Christ fulfills the loss that, that we could not fulfill. And now we have an advocate that goes before us to the Father. And so it's no wonder that these people were so quick to surrender. They're like, this is good news. I'm in. I want this. I want this. Now, not everyone. Not everyone was on board with this. Anytime you have righteousness present, anytime you've got holiness and godliness present, there will always be unrighteous who want to rear, unrighteousness that wants to rear its ugly head and make a fuss. Don't, don't let the filth of this present world system cause you to stop standing for what's right. That's one of the things I told our, the group in Branson yesterday. I said, listen, just because the world is filled with filth doesn't mean we're supposed to shut up and sit down and be quiet. We, there is nothing wrong with you standing firm on what God says in his word. There's nothing wrong. And I, I told that group of men, I said, listen, I know that you're being told as young men that it's shameful that you're a man. Listen, that's so far from the truth. Amen? Because God created you on purpose. Genesis, in the first part of the book, Genesis 1 says what? In the beginning, God made them male and female. God made them specifically for a purpose. Then Psalms 139 says, He knits you together in your mother's womb. So you're purposely here. You're here on purpose for a reason. Don't let the filth of the present world system cause you to stop standing for what is right and godly. Always follow righteousness. Always follow godliness. Always follow God. Because that ends better. I promise. Amen. This is truth. So let's look at verse 3 here. So verse 3 says, So they remained, because listen, there was people that, that reared their ugly head in verse 2, and they threw a little bit of a fit. But they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Speaking boldly. This is exactly what they did. They didn't, they didn't back down from the truth. They remained Steadfast, and they preached boldly. They did not let what the crowd said and did deter them from their mission. I, I love this. I love that they stayed fast to the mission at hand. Jonathan Edwards once said, True boldness for Christ transcends all. It is indifference to the displeasure of either friend or foe. Boldness enables Christians to forsake all rather than Christ. And to prefer to offend all rather, to, rather than to offend Christ. I love that. And this is exactly what Paul and Barnabas and the apostles were doing. They were standing true and being willing to offend some in order not to offend Christ. And this is what you and I must do in the places where we are. You and I are called by God to follow this example. This is the idea here. We're to follow this example. It's Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 12, that great cloud of witnesses. We've got this beautiful cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11 that did what they're supposed to do. Some of them, what? They shut the mouths of lions and, and put foreign armies to flight and then some were sawn in half. But still God got the glory out of both groups that were called by God to present and to push out the gospel into the darkness where um, 
where they spread the light of the gospel into a dark and dying place. This is what Christians are called to do. Matthew chapter five. We're a city on a hill. This means that you're. What does a city do? It's a lighted refuge. A city on a hill is a reference of something. A lighted refuge, a place of solely a holy sanctuary. We're a, a light for a dark and dying world that are in desperate need, in desperate need to be saved. A place where people don't have to fear anymore. A place where there is hope. The message of the gospel is called good news for a reason. Amen? It's called good news for a reason. Come on, are you all awake? Amen? All right, come on. Don't go, I know, don't go to sleep on me yet. We're getting there. This is one message that is needed above all else. Like, this is what we need. And this is the thing that just is terrifying. I got done with that message yesterday and I stood on the outside of the door and had man after man grab me around the neck, hug me. Older men too, grab me around the neck and said, man, it's been a long time since we've heard a sermon like that. I was like, brother, if you're not hearing that every week, you need to move and move quick because this ain't anything special that I'm doing. I'm just preaching the gospel. Like, if you're not hearing this kind of stuff every week, you need to reevaluate. That's what I told him. But man, I'm telling you, we're a city on a hill. We're a lighted refuge, a place of hope, a message of good news. This is what it is. This is the one message that needs to be proclaimed in all of the earth that God has come to redeem you. Like he's come to rescue you from yourself. He's come to rescue you from your sinfulness. He's come to rescue you from the depravity that you're in. What good news is that? Because listen, you can't save you. My, my dog jumps the fence. I can barely save my own dog. Amen, Hannah? <laughs> I, can't, I can't save my own dog, much less save my own soul. It's got to be Christ that does the saving. The world around us needs us to remain steadfast in our faith, unmovable, bold in our approach, not silent. I'd offend somebody. You're probably going to. You're probably going to offend somebody somewhere. We've, got, like, we've only in the last several hundred years got, well, not even that, just in the last several years where we've got, well, oh, I don't want to offend anybody with the gospel. Man, our grandparents and great-grandparents, man, those, those brothers, you ever listen to some of the sermons of, of those great men and, from back then? This is nothing compared to what they did. Go listen to Ten Shekels and a Shirt by Paris Reedhead. That'll break your soul. Listen to Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. That'll crush you. But then the good news brings you up. This is the glorious thing. The good news isn't good until you hear the bad news. Amen? The bad news is that you're in trouble and you're sinful. But the good news is that Christ has come to rescue Oh, that's such a good thing. We need this. The world needs us to stand boldly and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to a world that's watching, to a world that's needing to hear this. The world is a dark place and it's dying. And what's so sad is, listen, millions, no, billions of people don't even really understand they're headed to destruction. And what are we doing? Zipping our mouths, 
Because we don't want to offend. We don't want people to think we're crazy. All the while, millions are going, billions are headed straight to destruction. Well, just let's bring it home. There's hundreds of people in Cedarville, Kansas that are headed to destruction. And you have the light. You have the hope of eternal life. You're like, well, I just don't want to go over and talk to them because I might make them mad if I do. Man, I'd much rather somebody make me mad for a temporary season and offer me eternal hope than to keep my, their mouths shut and not tell me anything and keep me a temporary in pleasure, temporarily in pleasure, and then move. And when I die, I open my eyes on the other side and I head to eternal destruction. Amen? Like this is, I'm talking about all of us in the room. Like God's equipped you and I for such a season as this. God equipped these men for such a season that they were in. For the times that they were, they were in, God equipped them specifically to do what they're supposed to do in the places where they are. God's equipped you as a believer in Christ to do what you need to do in these places where you are. Where you walk and move and have your being, that's what you're called to do. That's what you're called to do. And there's hundreds of people in this town that are headed to eternal destruction and some of them don't even realize it. Like, let me ask you a question. Let's just go here. If you knew that Christ was going to return on Tuesday at 2.24, Central, 2.24 p.m. Central Standard Time, what would you do? You say, oh, Caleb, I'd, I'd get out. If I knew for sure, I'd go out for sure and I'd tell everybody this week. I'd talk to people this week. Why? Well, because I know Christ is coming on Tuesday at 224 Central. So I got to get after it. Well, man, listen. What's stopping you now from telling people about Christ? Because guess what? He just might show up on Tuesday at 224. Maybe. Right? What's stopping you from talking to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it fear? Well, Christ has given you the ability to do what you need to do and you don't have to be afraid. And guess what? The eternal blessings on the other side is, here's what we're doing. We're trading eternal blessings for temporary pleasures. For temporary, just eh, for a moment. We're, we're trading that rather than investing in eternal blessings. So let's, let's go with this. Imagine for just a moment. Imagine, we're on a walk. A couple of us are on a walk. And we're walking, and we see that uh, Dan's house is on fire. Dan, I'm going to pick on you for a minute. Dan's house is on fire. We're walking. Just strolling up, and I, I stroll up to Dan's house, and I knock on Dan's door. Not, with no sense of urgency, I just... And I stand on his front porch, just waiting. Dan opens the door. Hey, Caleb, how are you doing? Hey, Brother Dan, glad to see you. Man, I love your flower bed. Like, you're, like the flowers are just fantastic. They're just so pretty. Did you do those? Did you put those in? Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I did put those in. Well, Dan, I'd look, could you come into my house sometime and put some flowers in my flower bed? Like, you can help me plant my flowers in my flower bed. You know, Caleb, I'd be glad to do that. And we make small talk about life. For a couple minutes. Although, I remember, Dan's house is on fire. 
I've not said a word. We talk a little bit longer. And I give Dan a hug and I say, Dan, man, I love you, brother. Shut the door and he goes back in. Dan, you got any animals? You got a dog? No animals? Let's pretend for a minute you've got a dog. What's that? You got a turtle. Okay. We'll run with a turtle. This is going to be an emotional level I don't think y'all ever felt. Here we go. He closes the door. Dan's house burns to the ground. Dan's turtle. What's your turtle's name, Dan? I'm, I'm just joking. I don't have it. Let's call him. Come on, Dan. We're going to call Dan's turtle Chuck. His turtle Chuck dies in a horrible, just maiming. He's burned to death. Dan comes out with third degree burns all over his body. Did I really, when I hugged him and told him, I said, Dan, I love you. Do I re- did I really love Dan? Did I really love him? I, no, I didn't, I didn't really love him because if I'd loved Dan, what would I have done? I would have grabbed, like I love, I saw on TikTok, the internet, Instagram, one of these silly social media, it was an advertisement for Ring Doorbell. And the lady's, the, this lady's house was on fire. And the woman, it's the middle of the night. The woman's in her nightgown. She looks like a crazy, just wild hair, just nuts. And she's beating on this door uncontrollably, screaming at the top of her hands, get out of the house. Your house is on fire. She's hitting the ring doorbell, looking in the, in the video, going screaming into the camera. Your house is on fire. Get out. Get out. Get out. She wasn't thinking, you know what? I might offend them. They might think I'm crazy. They might think I'm just insane. She didn't care. All she thought about was this person's house is going to burn to the ground and they're going to be in it. And statistically, if you're in a house when it burns down, you're probably going to die. And so she was going, doing everything she could to make sure that those people got out of the house. How many people in, do you know today whose their spiritual house is on fire and what you're doing when you have conversations with them is asking them about their flower bed. You're talking to them about their what's happening next week with their jobs. There's no sense of urgency where you say, listen, I got to tell you about Jesus. When do you want to do that? I got to tell you about Christ. When do you want to do that? Like that's on us. The scripture says that if you know to do good and you don't do it, it's evil. It's called sin. If you know you're supposed to talk to somebody about Christ, but you don't do it, it's sin and it needs to be repented of. If you know somebody who's got a spiritual house that's on fire and you're like, well, I just, I don't know. Like all you got to do is tell them the gospel. What is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus died on the cross for you. Did you know that? Let me tell you what, how Jesus saved me. Use your own personal testimony. How to cry. Let me tell you how Jesus saved me. I was a rascal. I was a mess. And I heard that Jesus loves me and that he would rescue me from my sinfulness. And here's what you got to do. Just ask Jesus to forgive you and he will. Like it's simple conversations. But we've got so, we've been blocked by the enemy so hardcore in culture to think that we can't do this because we might offend somebody. Man, I promise you, when we get to the corridors of eternity, we're not going to be thinking about, man, remember that time? 
Remember that time? We're just going to be like, man, I can promise you, if you share the gospel with somebody and they come to saving faith in heaven, they're not going to be like, and trust me, after they get saved, I've never known anybody to go, golly, you're such a hateful bigot. How dare you? How dare you share with me eternal hope? Everyone that I've ever been a part of being able to pray with to to receive Christ, and there's just an overwhelming sense of a weight has been lifted and they are joy-filled. Romans or Acts chapter 13. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and there's a sense of joy. They're like, wow, I didn't realize I had a big weight holding me down like I did. Wow, I feel free. I feel free and they're thankful. I can promise you, if Dan, if I rushed up to Dan's house and beat on Dan's door and said, Dan, get out, your house is on fire. He's going to be like, yeah, you bigot. Are you going to be thankful I told you your house is on fire? Yeah, he's going to, thanks, man, I appreciate you. Might even give me a hug. I'm telling you, this is what we're called to do, to preach the gospel. And listen, they may not accept but that's not on you. The weight, like I said, never put that weight on some on yourself. That, oh God, it's like, I gotta get them. You don't gotta get anybody saved. You just gotta be faithful to remain faithful to the word. That's what the Bible's called you to do. Do take the example of Paul, one of the greatest Christians ever. He just was faithful to preach the word. Just be faithful in the places where you are. Hey, here's who Jesus is. Here's what the here's what the Bible says about this. If you confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. It'll change your life. Amen? You've been listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry of First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas 67024. God bless you.